Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Geralt of Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Last Moment 15. The village was named Adderd, based on the rotting wooden sign. It was located outside of Crag Ross, in the mountains above. Tobek told Jeremiah and the others in a flurry that he was not allowed to head towards Adderd when he was on his tour. He was told the area was off-limits. But lead rings open all doors, it seems, Jeremiah thought. The dwarven defenders grumbled, but let them pass through the heavy gates of Crag Ross without a guide. A chill wind whipped through his hair, but Jeremiah found it refreshing after the stale mine air. They were able to leave the defunct Vidmar Iron Mine through what appeared to be an emergency exit that spat them out somewhere in the heart of the Mahakam Mountains. It took them some time to orient themselves and return to Crag Ross. Then they took a few hours to clean up and eat before deciding to embark after the assassins that hopefully had the Mars Stone. So they followed Tobek's lead up the mountain path, towards the assassins' village. Tobek explained to everyone on the way about the vision he experienced after tasting the pooled blood back in the mine. He said he tasted some of the assassin's blood, and the vision that followed was akin to seeing everything that had happened from the assassin's own eyes. From the sneaking, to the killing, to the escaping into the village of Adderd. Jeremiah doubted the veracity of Tobek's story, and the extent of his magical powers, but Zevo and Dethramel were convinced, and the craftsmen supposed they were the experts on magical matters. So they followed Tobek's lead up the mountain path, towards the assassin's village. The road was winding and poorly maintained, with thin snowdrifts blanketing the rocks around them. They stopped at a break in the road when they heard the din of civilization, and grey smoke rising from behind a few rocks to their right. How sure are you they're in this village, Zevo said to Tobek. Jeremiah thought Tobek looked on the verge of collapse, but he managed to nod and said in a dry voice, I saw it very clearly in my vision. I should be able to spot their homes easy enough. And what if these villagers are not so accepting of outsiders? Ethramel asked. We can figure it out, Carmagnola said with a shrug. Let's just hurry along. It's plowing freezing here. Adderd couldn't have been more than two dozen ramshackle homes around a rocky and uneven plateau nestled between two mountain peaks. The center of town was marked by a large bonfire that villagers fed with bundles of sticks from time to time. A far cry from Crag Ross said Jeremiah. He thought the villagers could benefit from an influx of coin. And that got the craftsmen thinking. They drew a few looks from the hollow-eyed villagers, mainly gnomes and halflings, a smattering of dwarves, and one or two lynx-faced werebubs, but no one confronted the outsiders. The villagers were too preoccupied feeding the bonfire, 
or carting dirty roots and berries off to their hovels. They all looked too gaunt. Tobek led them past the bonfire, eyeing every scrap of food as they passed. A werebub, a creature Jeremiah thought existed only in myth until a few hours ago, uttered a low growl as they passed. Where's the damned house? he whispered. Who knows how long these people will tolerate us. Tobek paused and pointed down a dirt road lined with hovels. It's down there. The street was deserted, and Tobek pointed to a small, thatched house. Wait by the front, Zevo said, then motioned for Jeremiah to follow. The windows were drawn, and the front door looked easy enough to break, but Jeremiah followed the witcher around the side of the house. An even flimsier-looking door was in the alley. Jeremiah pulled out his craftsman's hammer and raised an eyebrow at Zevo. The witcher nodded. The door gave with the first swing, and the witcher strode in with his sword drawn. The bed in the corner rustled, and a dark-skinned halfling sat up. He was the same height as a gnome, but without the exaggerated ears and nose. The halfling's eyes widened, and he shook his companion on the bed. A bald gnome sat up, just as confused. I'd recommend you don't move, Zevo said, pointing his sword at the two. Jeremiah, the door. Jeremiah whistled as he strode through the small, run-down kitchen and unlatched the front door. Ethramel, Carmagnola, and Tabek followed. What is this all about? the halfling demanded. You can't just come barging into our home and... Where's the stone? Ethramel asked. The bald gnome narrowed his eyes. What stone? The Mars stone, Zevo said. The one you got by killing a handful of Fistech producers in an abandoned mine. I don't know what you're talking about, friend. The halfling threw his covers off and started to move. Let me make us some tea and we can... Get off that bed and you'll lose your hand, the witcher growled. I saw what you two can do with a blade. Stay right where you are. They mean business, Arnulf, the gnome said. Arnulf, the halfling, sniffed. Yes, I can see that. We don't have the stone. Arnulf, the gnome said. Quiet, Thurzik. They obviously know. Best to tell the truth and keep our lives. I see the halfling is the sensible assassin. So where is the stone? I can't sense any sources of power around here, so it must be well hidden. Thurzik, the gnome, sighed. We don't have it. Really, Arnulf cut in. We were just hired to get the stone from those Fistech dealers. But we delivered it, and got our pay, and that was it. And who paid you? Jeremiah was quickly tiring of the whole Marstone business. Don't give me that look. You obviously have no scruples about selling out. We don't know, Thurzik said. He was a tolly, so likely human. And he tried to hide his accent, but he ain't from Mahakam. We guessed he was with one of the delegations. Which one? Tabek asked. He was rifling through the kitchen and grabbed a biscuit that looked hard as a stone. He nibbled at it with a look of distaste. We don't know that either, Arnulf said. He masked his voice well enough. Seems like there's a lot you don't know, Ethramel said. Arnulf the halfling bunched the blanket up with his fists. Well, no shit. We were hired to kill some dealers and steal a box. You think the buyer's gonna tell us any more than that? How did the buyer find you? The sorcerer asked. They sent a messenger. Thurzik wiped his nose. Some dwarven kid from Crag Ross. And the letter? The gnome and halfling fell silent. Oh, come now. You've been so forthcoming so far. It would be a shame for you to stop now. Ethramel approached the bed and created a fireball in his hand. It might be a shame for this whole village. There's certainly a lot of kindling. Arnulf and Thurzik's eyes widened. You wouldn't, Thurzik started. No, no one else here was involved. Worse things have happened to less deserving people. So where's the letter? Arnulf closed his eyes and pointed to a small desk in the corner of the room. 
Jeremiah opened the drawer and pulled out a neatly folded letter. He inspected the flourishing script, asking if the gnome and halfling were looking to earn 200 crowns. If so, the letter read, meet the buyer on the road to Adderd at noon. There was no signature. A thought ran through the craftsman's head, and he smiled. No reason to dawdle any longer. This letter should be enough. Ethermel blinked at Jeremiah, but shrugged and gave the assassins a mock bow. Thank you for your assistance, Master Assassins. I hope we didn't interrupt your sleep too much. It goes without saying that if you try to follow us or get some sort of half-cocked revenge, this village will go up in smoke. You got no right, Arnulf shouted as they all left through the front door. We used all our earnings to help the village, and no one's going to mourn those Fistech dealers anyway. They've been poisoning our community for a long time. I do always love to hear a murderer's justification, Ethramel said when they were back on the street. So how do we find the one who hired the assassins? A human diplomat only narrows it down to every major northern kingdom here. Jeremiah cleared his throat and put the letter in his pocket. He was full of ideas today. Leave it to me. I know how to find our diplomat. 16. Arian Lavalette looked too young to be leading the Temerian delegation, but he had the stern and self-serious expression of a man twice his age, and he carried himself with dignity as he stood up and strode across the room. Duchess Isabel, to what do we owe this unexpected pleasure? The room they were in was small, Zevo noticed. Originally a tailor shop, it had been repurposed to house the Temerian delegation. The dresses and fabrics had been cleared away and replaced with sturdy wooden tables cluttered with documents. There was a door on each side, two possible escape routes. Zevo looked at Tabek and motioned towards the door on the left. Tabek nodded and shuffled towards it. Ethermel positioned himself towards the door on the right. There were four diplomats in the room, but they all stayed seated. I was just passing by and thought I'd say hello, Isabel said in a breezy tone. I hear the Kedwani delegation will be here by tomorrow morning at the latest. About time, Lavalette said. The longer we idle here, the more ground Nilfgaard gains in Temeria. Vizima will be under siege in less than a month at this rate. And if Temeria falls, Sidorus will be completely exposed, Isabel added. Assuming these rumors that the Kingdom of Verdun surrendered to the Black Cloaks are true. Lavalette snorted. King Kistrin the Capitulator, they're calling him. Age makes men cautious, but I never would have imagined he'd give up his kingdom so easily. But I forget myself. Who are your friends? This is Zevo of Kavir. Isabel patted Zevo on the shoulder. A witcher. Lavalette nodded, but his eyes narrowed at Zevo. I've known a few in my time. The Kingslayer Letho of Gullet was a witcher as well. From the school of the Viper. I'm from the school of the Bear. Zevo shrugged, not wishing to probe the sore subject any deeper. Letho of Gullet had murdered Temeria's previous king just last year, after all. And this is Ethramel Untred, Isabel said quickly. She pointed to Carmignola and said, This is Carmignola Magvild of Temeria. Lavalette smiled at the doctor. Oh, I've not had the pleasure of meeting you before. I'm Duke Sebastian's cousin, Carmignola said quickly. Zevo knew why he didn't want to pursue the matter any further. Arian Lavalette was Temerian nobility, and bound to know most nobles in his kingdom. The longer they spoke, the more likely Carmignola's new false identity would be exposed. Fortunately, Isabel cut in and ended further questioning. And this is Tabek. I'm actually not sure if he has a last name. Do you? Not one worth sharing, Tabek said. Lavalette barked a humorless laugh. A witcher, an elf, and an elf guardian, judging by Tabek's accent. You keep interesting company, Duchess. So I ask again, to what do we owe this pleasure? 
he motioned to the four Temerian diplomats sitting at their desks. We're quite busy, as you can see. Then I won't take up any more time than needed. Isabel's voice hardened, the voice of a commanding duchess. Zevo smirked. One of your diplomats has stolen something of great import to me, and hired blackguards to do it. I was nearly killed. The young Temerian stiffened, unwilling to be cowed by the Duchess of Vartburg. That's quite an accusation. I assume you have proof? Now it was Isabel who barked a humorless laugh. Aye, I have proof. Take a gander at this, if you would. She produced the letter Zevo and his companions had stolen from Arnulf the Halfling and Thurzik the Gnome. Lavalette studied it carefully. What was it they stole? A box with a stone in it. A family heirloom. I don't know what kind of spycraft Tamaria is engaged in, but Sidorus won't be intimidated by your petty tricks. One of the diplomats, a bald man Zevo remembered as Tobias of Alander, scoffed. If we were engaged in spycraft, it would not be so sloppy. Quiet, Lavalette said. He looked back to the Duchess. I assume you want to compare this letter's handwriting to everyone's here? If you would be so kind, Isabel said. Lavalette nodded. Of course. This was a grave injustice done to you, and I will give you my word it was done without my knowledge or consent, and it shall be punished swiftly. Hand over your letters, each of you. Arian, I hardly think, one of the diplomats started. Now! He may look a boy, but I don't doubt he's in command, Zevo thought. He couldn't help it. He was starting to like Lavalette. The letters were gathered and compared. One looks to be a match, Isabel said. She waved one letter in the air. Who wrote this? Lavalette turned to a Temerian diplomat who looked so unassuming he would have blended into the furniture if he wasn't shaking so damn much. Kenneth, do you care to explain this? Kenneth still is shaking long enough to say with conviction, I hardly think this is conclusive. I imagine there are several diplomats here with similar handwriting. But none that smell of cinnamon and cloves, Zevo said. The scent is undeniable on the parchment, and I can smell it on you from here. Well, I, Kenneth stammered. He had gone white as cottage cheese. Arian Lavalette pointed to Tobias. Search Kenneth's things. Find this box. At once, my lord. It didn't take long. He returned with a simple wooden box. Lavalette opened it, and Zevo's medallion immediately started humming. It's a rather plain stone, he said to Isabel. A family heirloom, you said? Aye, Isabel said. Now hand it over. Lavalette shut the box, and Zevo's medallion stopped humming. He handed it over. I would like to personally apologize for Kenneth's conduct. It does not reflect Tamaria's good faith. I will personally rectify this situation. He favored the Duchess with a humorless smile. You need not stay and witness it. I believe him, Zevo couldn't help but think. Honor is too important to the boy. He'd make a terrible spy. Thank you, Arian, Isabel said with a bow. We'll take our leave. When they were far enough away from the Tamarian delegation, Isabel asked, So how did I do? Was I angry enough? You're as excellent an actress as you are a drinker, Ethermel said with a grin. Zevo held his hand out. Let me see it. Isabel handed the wooden box over. It was heavier than he would have thought. He opened the box, and a wave of power rushed out of it. Zevo's medallion thrummed against his chest. The Witcher wouldn't have guessed that this misshapen, dull gray stone that was no bigger than his palm could be capable of creating such power. But he supposed stranger things have happened. Is that it? Carmignola asked, craning his neck to see the stone. Zevo grunted and closed the box. Then let's get the Mars stone to Yana and get paid. Isabel patted Zevo on the shoulder and said, Join me at the Sidarian camp for a celebratory drink when you've finished your business. 
Zevo nodded and found the words difficult to find. I will, he croaked. They made their way to the Adernian camp, where Jeremiah and Yana were discussing some event long past in her private quarters. The craftsman, his cheeks ruddy with wine, grinned. And how did my plan go? Swimmingly, I imagine. I think Yana deserves the credit for going through all her diplomatic correspondences and narrowing the handwriting samples down. Zevo hefted the box and handed it to Yana, but you should have come along to see for yourself. Jeremiah shook his head. I'm mixed up with too many camps already. Redanian and Adernian. No sense in being seen with the Temerians and Sidarians as well. Someone might think I'm a spy. It seems, Yana said opening the box, that you got what I asked. And for that, I thank you. Thank us with payment, Ethramel said, in addition to what we discussed. The sorceress nodded and paid each their two hundred crowns. I'll admit I have expected you to fail, but you work well together, for people who can't seem to stand one another. That's how we've made it this far, Carmagnola said. Adept at surviving, Yana mused, more to herself than anyone else, it seemed. But there's more to life than just surviving. Zevo excused himself. He agreed with Yana. Sometimes there was more to life than surviving. Sometimes one can enjoy a drink with an old friend. The Sidarian delegation had similarly taken over a shop, but it was slightly larger than the Tamarians, and Isabel had her own quarters. It was modestly decorated, with a dresser and a woven rug and a few pastoral paintings on the wall. The four-poster bed shoved into the corner indicated this was the shopkeeper's bedroom. Isabel invited Zevo in and poured two glasses of Est Est. The witcher swirled the red wine in the glass and said, Breaking out the good stuff, I see. And why not? Isabel dropped into a chair and crossed her legs. It's the last night before the dreaded summit starts. And I was able to help you out like old times. What's not to celebrate? Zevo nodded and sipped the Toussaint vintage. It was the best wine he'd ever had. So I must ask, because otherwise I'm going to be thinking about it all night, Isabel said after a moment. What in the hell happened to your armor? Zevo poked a finger through the acid-burned hole in his cloak, and then another through a hole in his breastplate. Well, to put it simply, our craftsman friend Jeremiah was testing out a new invention, something he calls a repeating crossbow. We were fighting Anapheli, and despite me explicitly telling him not to shoot at their bellies, he aims right at it. And now I've lost all my reward on armor costs alone. Zevo snorted. Unless he's true to his word and mends it for free. Isabel tilted her head and smirked. Why, Zevo of Kavir, are you fussy? I'm not fussy. You sound fussy. I'm not. Witchers and their armor, Isabel laughed. I used to think you were daft to walk around on my ship wearing plate. You would have drowned if you fell overboard. I wouldn't have drowned. As a kid at Heron Kedek, the witchers put armor on me and tossed me into a lake so I could learn to swim with it. Terrifying, but effective. Zevo sipped his wine and grinned. I could have done the same trick to you back then. You'd have been the only armored pirate around. Isabel shook her head and twirled a drawstring from her white linen shirt around her finger. I prefer clothes that breathe, and I'm a little too old to be pirating anymore. You sure? I can put you in my armor and toss you in a nearby spring, if you'd like to test it out. I'll take the spring without the armor, thanks. Isabel smiled, looked down at the wooden floor, took a swallow of wine. Then she stared at Zevo and said, Fuck it. She was up and standing over Zevo in three paces. She leaned down to kiss him. Zevo stiffened for a moment, but quickly relaxed as he put his glass down and stood up. He towered over Isabel, 
but the Duchess wrapped her arms around Zevo's neck and pulled his head down to reach her. Her tongue briefly probed against his lips before breaking through. Zevo opened his mouth to reciprocate. He smelled the acrid tang of her sweat, and it reminded him of the sea. Zevo ran one hand up Isabel's stomach, lingering on one full breast and the hardened nipple that poked through her shirt. Her breath quickened, and he ran his other hand through her dark hair. Isabel broke away and took off her shirt in one fluid motion. A few scars ran across her round and soft stomach. Zevo stood there, dumbfounded. After a moment, Isabel said, Take that fucking armor off. It was the same tone of command she had used with Lavalette. Zevo fumbled to undo his cloak. I've been trained my whole life to efficiently take off armor, the Witcher thought, but now I'm struggling like a child. Isabel lost her patience and strode back to Zevo, throwing his cloak off and unbuckling his armor. It fell in bits and pieces, and when it was done, Isabel kicked the breastplate away and pulled the Witcher to her bed. She took off his shirt and traced her index finger lightly down his scarred chest. She kissed his neck and slowly started trailing down, lightly biting one of his nipples. She ran a free hand down his pants, and a sigh escaped his lips. You are ready to go, she whispered. I've been ready since I saw you yesterday, Zevo thought. The Witcher, of course, did not say that. His mind went blank with pleasure as her lips trailed lower, and he was unsure how much time passed. The next thing he knew, Isabel had lowered herself onto him, moaning Zevo's name as she did. Zevo sat up to kiss Isabel. There was no stopping now, he knew. She would ride him until things reached their natural conclusion. Oh, fuck! Isabel shuddered as she placed two hands on Zevo's chest to steady herself. Zevo couldn't help but smile. They lied together in a tangle on her bed afterwards, panting and saying nothing. Isabel rested her hand against the crook of Zevo's shoulder and sprawled an arm across his chest. Finally, she said, That, I think, was a long time coming, and worth the wait. I'll say. I just didn't think our first time would be so good. Isabel trailed off and brushed a lock of hair behind Zevo's ear. You can stay the night if you wish. Of course. Zevo slept in Isabel's bed that night. He did not simply meditate as he had done so many nights before. He closed his eyes and slipped into a restful sleep, like a man who had, after years at sea, finally returned home. That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Zipkowski. The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red. And The Witcher Tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at Tales Witcher Pod on X or at TalesFromTheWitcher.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.